Our uh, scripture reading this evening comes from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bible with you, I trust, if you turn with me there to Matthew chapter 4, we'll be uh, reading together uh, tonight verses 18 through uh, 25, and uh, we'll be thinking specifically about that first half, verses 18 through uh, 22. Uh, Last time when we were uh, together, uh, we read of Jesus withdrawing into Galilee, into the land of uh, darkness and the shadow of death, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, uh, and coming uh, as the light uh, and the light dawning in that land, Jesus coming and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so pick up the story, Matthew chapter 4, at verse 18, with Jesus Uh, in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw, that's Jesus, two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Not only do we uh, have uh, the gospel, uh, but we have uh, four uh, tellings of the gospel. And we thank you that as we continue to read along here with Matthew, uh, the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, Lord, that you uh, invite us to come and to again see Jesus uh, anew, Lord, perhaps for many of us, we've read many of these stories many, many times. And so we, we thank you, though, that as we come back to the scripture, that there is always more for us to know, uh, deeper riches for us to gather together. And so we pray that you would bless us tonight in this portion of scripture, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time we saw that uh, Jesus uh, began to preach uh, in Galilee, uh, repent for the kingdom uh, of heaven is at hand. Uh, Here in this passage, we find out that uh, Jesus will go throughout all Galilee, teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and uh, he's going to do that in various places, and we'll see the response uh, to that. We're going to look at that latter Uh, portion of this passage next week. Uh, But clearly, Jesus uh, preached uh, the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, we have uh, entitled our study, really, of the gospel of Matthew, the the theme of Matthew being the gospel of the kingdom. And this is the first time in this passage 
that we come across this language. Uh, But the good news for Jesus uh, was all about the kingdom. And uh, if it's a kingdom gospel, that means that we are called to be kingdom disciples. And we want to think about that tonight. Jesus will preach the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, It's a kingdom gospel. And that means that disciples of Jesus are meant to be kingdom disciples. And we want to think tonight about about what they look like uh, tonight. Well, everyone is familiar with the hymn, uh, Onward Christian Soldiers. You know that hymn, Marching as to War with the Cross of Jesus Going on Before. But you may not have heard uh, these verses written by someone who was concerned that the church had lost its sense of mission and calling. And it goes like this. Backward, Christian soldiers, fleeing from the fight, with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Christ, our rightful master, stands against the foe, but forward into battle, we are loath to go. Like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where we've always trod. We are much divided, many bodies we, having many doctrines, not much charity. Crowns and thorns may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus, hidden, does remain. Gates of hell should never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, but think that it will fail. Sit here then, you people. Join our useless throng. Blend with ours your voices in a feeble song. Blessings, ease, and comfort Ask from Christ the King. With our modern thinking, we don't do a thing. Oh dear, that doesn't sound like a good hymn. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to sing that hymn. Um, uh, this was written by someone, uh, it's actually anonymous. So we don't, uh, no, no wonder they put anonymous there. Um, those are not good thoughts. What does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, a soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, the word disciple uh, is the Greek word mathetes, which means pupil or student, or simply follower. So as I mentioned, next week we're going to think about um, the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached, uh, but tonight we want to consider what it means to be a disciple of someone who preaches the kingdom gospel. In other words, what does a kingdom disciple look like? So the first thing we want to think about is the profile of a kingdom disciple. What does a kingdom disciple look like? What's their qualification? So verse 18 goes like this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, in today's world, I would think that if you want to succeed, you better be good at putting together uh, an amazing profile. Right? When you, if you want to succeed in America today, you need to have a good profile. Whether you're opening a Facebook account uh, or Twitter or what have you, starting a blog, something like that. Or if you are still a bit of a dinosaur like me and you actually read newspapers and magazines you know, in the print version. Uh, whenever you're about to read something, uh, an article by an author, you want to have a pretty good idea of who the author is. Right? What's, their, what's their credentials? Maybe what school did they get a degree from? Uh, who did they learn under? What are their life accomplishments? So here's Jesus. Remember, he's Savior. Remember, he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's faced down the evil one we read earlier in Matthew. Uh, he's heard the testimony of his father. He is, uh, um, 
He is filled with the Holy Spirit, equipped by the Holy Spirit beyond measure, and he's begun his ministry. Who's he going to choose to be his closest allies in his time upon the earth? Maybe he would check LinkedIn, you know, or something like that, Uh, or an online data tool. No, so he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. Now, remember, this is the land of darkness. People here were told, dwelling in the shadow of death, they're without the Lord. And he's walking along this sea. He finds two sets of brothers. Simon and Andrew, and James and John. Now remember, we mentioned it last week, but that according to the Gospel of John, before Jesus withdraws here into Galilee, about a year of ministry has already gone by. You read John 1 through 4, that's all ministry of Jesus uh, before this happens here in Galilee. So this is not the first time that Jesus has met these men. He's familiar with them, as we find out in John's Gospel. But this is no ordinary conversation. This is then the call of Jesus upon their life to follow. This is a special call to discipleship. They were to leave their work, give themselves full time to being with Jesus, to learn from him. Uh, We find out later in the Gospels they would still fish from time to time, uh, but they were being called uh, to a new life. Now, here's the thing. Does Does anything strike you as strange? about who Jesus first calls to be his disciples. I mean, after all, later in the Bible, we're going to read that uh, in Ephesians, for instance, that the apostles, who these men will be, and the prophets, um, uh, will be the foundation of the church. These are important folks. Jesus is the cornerstone, but upon the apostles and prophets, the church will be built. So who's going to serve as the foundation? Uh, Well, we find out not judges, Not lawyers, not seminary professors uh, in Jerusalem, not doctors or governors or kings or Pharisees or Sadducees uh, or Herodians, but uh, fishermen. Have you ever got the impression from reading the Bible that God doesn't look at people uh, the same way we do? Uh, I have, for instance, when we went through the book of James together. Remember James 4 tells us that when it comes to church, for instance, you know, if someone comes in who's, who's well-dressed, looks like a rich person, you know, our tendency will be to give them the preferential treatment. treatment. And then we, you know, the homeless man comes in and we say, okay, well, you better sit at the back and we'll make sure there's an elder beside you. Uh, you know, something like that. Remember Samuel said to Saul, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And uh, even then, man's heart is wicked, so it's not that God calls people who have good hearts. That's not what Samuel is saying. Um, no one does good. We're dead in sin. Uh, but when God does call somebody, he does things like, um, like this. You remember uh, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Now, this is really strange. 1 Corinthians 1.26, For consider, says Paul to the church in Corinth, normal Christians like us, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Uh, not many were powerful, of course, the worldly standards. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world uh, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Uh, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why would God do that? Well, Paul says this, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So Jesus calls here smelly, dirty fishermen. I remember one time when our family was driving, while I was driving, 
family was along uh, in uh, New York City. I think I told you this before. And uh, we were driving in New York City many years ago, and I got us lost and uh, didn't know where we were, didn't know how to get out. Uh, in fact, I'll, you know, I looked up and said, oh, there's some bridges up there. That's where we need to be. I uh, didn't know how to get there. Uh, and there was brick streets and uh, you know, cobblestone streets. I don't know what, what neighborhood we were in. And so I said, I'm going to have to stop and ask somebody, how do I get out of here? And uh, so sure enough, stopped somewhere, opened the car door. And as soon as we opened the door, <laughs> fish. Uh, we were down, you know, down at the down at the water, water, waterfront somewhere and had to ask somebody, um, how do we get out of here? And, uh, but that, that smell of fish, you know, was, was so powerful. Jesus calls smelly, uh, dirty fishermen. We don't need to assume that they were dummies who couldn't tie their sandals. Uh, but remember in Acts 4, the religious leaders knew that they were common, uneducated men. But it was clear they'd been with Jesus. But they were common, uneducated men. Men, that is, these men, uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, had no seminary degree. They didn't go to Jerusalem College for the gifted. There was no so-called higher education uh, for them. They had no uh, all-expense-paid scholarship uh, for these men, no great reputation or fame. Just a couple of sets of brothers, here's the thing, just a couple of sets of brothers going about their daily routine, their normal work. Verse 18 says they're casting their nets. Verse 21 says they're mending their nets at work with their father. Zebedee, they're faithfully working at their vocation. They're not rich. They're not necessarily poor, but they're simply providing for themselves or their families. And in fact, here's the thing. What stands out to us, what should stand out to us most about these men uh, is the very fact that these men don't stand out to us at all. Ordinary men. Adult education will be starting soon. Our brother Derek here is leading us in a very helpful discussion of the book by Michael Horton titled Ordinary. And that's the thing. Yes, God is pleased to use and call ordinary men and women to be his kingdom disciples. Now, oh yes, God is going to do extraordinary things with them and through them. He will transform them because being with Jesus, seeing his sinless life, his miracles, his sacrificial death, uh, his resurrection, his ascension. This is going to transform those who are with Jesus into absolutely fearless kingdom disciples who will be ready to die for Jesus, as these men will be. But all the extraordinary comes from God who takes ordinary men, women, and children like you and me and calls us into his service. They had a special role to play, these men, but they are simply humble servants of God, at work, at their callings. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say this, But we have this treasure in, remember, in, in jars of, of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God <laughs> and not to us. So God's so glorious, but he, he chooses, why would he choose jars of clay so that uh, the glory would be to him? There'd be no room for, for boasting. After all, we're fishermen. Now, that should encourage you, and that should encourage me. We are ordinary men and women. God calls ordinary people. We're working at our jobs. We're laboring where we are in the home, in the office, in the kitchen, at school with the children, caring for parents, weeding the garden, whatever it is. 
said the Scottish preacher of the 19th century, Robert Murray McShane, it's not so much great talents that God uses as it is great likeness to Jesus. The profile of the kingdom disciple, they're ordinary fishermen. But secondly, we have the calling of a kingdom disciple. Now, if you thought Jesus' choice of kingdom disciples was a little strange, this is really going to throw you. Verse 19, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Now, this calling of Jesus involves a command and a promise. The command is to follow uh, or to come after, come with Jesus. And then the promise is, I, says Jesus, I will make you, I will make you fishers of men. But for Simon and Andrew, uh, they must have no doubt wondered at what this promise was all about. Now, of course, catching fish, they knew something about. Uh, fishing in the Sea of Galilee, they knew something about. Uh, the storms that would quickly arise on the sea, as we read about elsewhere in the gospel. Nets for hauling in fish, yes, that all made sense. But what does it mean to be a fisher of men? Way back in 1699, the Scottish Puritan pastor Thomas Boston came across Matthew 4.19, and he meditated on this question. Why, in the language of Jesus, are unconverted men compared to fish? in the water. This is what he wrote. Among other reasons, they are so, fish in the water, unconverted men, because as the water is the natural element of fish, so sin is the proper and natural element for an unconverted soul. Take the fish out of the water, it can't live. Take from a natural man his idols, he's ready to say with Micah, you've taken away my gods, what have I more? It's in sin that the only delight of natural men is, but in holiness they have no more delight than a fish upon the earth or a sow in a palace. Uh, he had a great way with words. The fish, he says, in a sunny day are seen to play themselves in the water. So the unregenerate, whatever grief they may seem to have upon their spirits, when a storm arises, either without by outward troubles or within by conscious nine convictions, Yet when these are over and they're in a prosperous state, they play themselves in the way of sin, just like fish in the water. As the fish greedily look after and snatch at the bait, not minding the hook, even so, said Boston, natural men drink in sin greedily as the ox drinketh in the water. They look on sin as a sweet morsel, and it is to them sweet in the mouth, though bitter in the belly. And, said Boston, as fish are altogether unprofitable as long as they're in the water, that is, fish are no use to us in the water, so are wicked men in their natural estate. They can do nothing. Uh, that is really good. Fishers of, of men. But notice Jesus gives a promise. He will, he will make them fishers of men. They will be catchers of men. We really need to think about this as if God has a great, uh, a great gospel net and Jesus is calling disciples to follow him, come after him, labor with him in bringing in the great catch. That is, men and women and children who are lost and bringing them into the great gospel net. Think of Jesus using a different metaphor, calling us to pray, for instance, that 
the Lord would raise up laborers for the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, white unto harvest, but the workers are, are few, and uh, there's many fish, <laughs> and uh, need fishers of men. Notice also the order of Jesus' call. It is first, he says to Simon and Andrew, follow, first follow me, and then I will make you fishers of men. This is important. There is no fishing uh, without fellowship, we could say. After the day of Pentecost, of course, the apostles were boldly proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were, remember, they're willing to defy the authorities if those authorities command anything against the commands of God. And remember, as I mentioned earlier, those authorities, they see something about uh, these apostles. And, and look at that. Wait a minute. They're uneducated. They're common men. Yet we can tell they have, remember, they have been with Jesus. They clearly were followers of Jesus. They had come after him. You will not catch anything without Jesus. It's first follow, and then says Jesus, I will make you a fisher of men. That's important. That, I think that means this, that there's no witness for Christ without union with Christ. We can't expect to be a, a, a gospel light uh, that others would um, come to Jesus unless we ourselves are with Jesus. You see, um, you will not be used of God. I will not be used of God to draw anybody to Jesus Christ unless I myself, you yourself, are already in Christ and near Christ. You're already following him. So if you saw, say to somebody, hey, come along with me, you're bringing them to Christ because you're already there uh, with him. How are you going to convince anyone, let's say, uh, to take up a certain, uh, a certain diet if you yourself are not on that diet? Um, how are you going to be used to make anyone a fan of the Dodgers uh, when you're a Cubs fan? That doesn't work. First, follow. Then you will be able to fish. The call of a kingdom disciple, then, remember, Jesus will preach the gospel of the kingdom. Kind of uh, uh, amazing who he chooses, but then the calling, too, is to be a follower of Jesus. That is, walking after Jesus. Now, Jesus, of course, no longer physically on the earth, we follow Jesus in the Gospels. We follow Jesus in the Scripture. We follow Jesus by the Spirit. That is, we go where He goes. We love what He loves. We hate what He hates. He leads, and we follow. It should remind us, reminds me of the story in Joshua, uh, one, of the, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You know, when the people are about to walk around Jericho, and uh, Joshua's getting them, getting them ready, and... Um, and Joshua's, you know, up one, up one morning, and uh, uh, an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, appears to Joshua as a man with a sword in his hand. And uh, remember this, Joshua asks this man, the angel of the Lord, are you for us or for our adversaries? Who, who, whose side are you on? And do you remember how the angel of the Lord, the commander of the Lord army, responds? He says, no. Wait a minute. Joshua said, are you for us? Or for them. And the commander of the Lord's army says, No, no, but I am, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. In other words, you've got to look at that passage, but in other words, I'm not here to join your side. I am here to, to lead this battle. I am the commander. I am not, I'm not looking to enlist under you, Joshua. It is you who best get in line 
follow me. Right? I'm the commander here. I am the leader. And so often in my life, no doubt in your life, and uh, for many professing Christians, we get this backward sometimes. Instead of following Jesus where he leads, we want Jesus to follow us. We set the agenda and then we ask for his blessing. Rather than read his word and pray to know what his agenda is and walk in his path, he leads, we follow. And as he leads, he uses us for his glory, fishers of men. This is amazing to you. Notice um, he's not going to make them judges of men. That's interesting. But fishers of men. Notice he didn't say, I will make you condemners of men. I'll make you fishers of men. On our recent trip to uh, uh, the east, we stopped at the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. Uh, recreation of uh, using, trying to use the dimensions. They don't, can't, can't know exactly all those dimensions, but uh, it's a big old ark there in Kentucky. And uh, great to visit there. And uh, one of the things I liked was that they had uh, uh, gospel music concerts throughout the day. And so we took in a gospel music concert in the morning on one of those days. And it was, it was wonderful. But the fellow, who was, um, the fellow who was serving as host of that gospel music presentation, you know, there's an MC kind of thing. Um, he was saying something about our current culture, and, and he was, uh, I got more and more uncomfortable as he spoke, and um, he was continually making jokes about how, for instance, uh, you know, here in this place, you know, it's good to be with God's people, he said. Here, uh, here we know the difference between a man and a woman, you know, and everybody laughed, and, uh, and uh, boy, you must be really foolish if you don't know the difference between the two, and uh, how ridiculous, he said, you know, are those who don't know which is which. You know, and who they are, and loud laughter from folks there. Uh, or, or wait a minute, I thought, I thought to myself, wait a minute, what if, what if one of those sitting there was, in our current culture, struggling with who they are? What if, because of all that they've been told by the media and pop culture and government schools, uh, they're not sure what it means to be a man or a woman? Is a Christian called to be a laugher at men or a fisher of men? Well, praise God, he's fished you out of your sin. Uh, praise God, Simon and Andrew and James and John, the sons of thunder, despite their weaknesses, uh, they weren't laughed at by Jesus. They were discipled by Jesus and would become fishers of men. Men would be saved, that is, pulled out of the sea of sin given a new life in Christ, followers of Jesus, fishers for Jesus, seeking to draw men and women and children to Christ, not repel them from Christ. Well, this is how these men were to see their lives. This is how we as Christians must see our lives, calling men out of the sea of sin and into, we could say, uh, into the, uh, the lifeboat, shall we say, of life in Christ. Remember John three seventeen. for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Yes, judgment and condemnation is coming, but not yet. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. The fishing boats uh, are still on the water. So we've looked at the... Uh, Profile of a kingdom disciple. We've looked at the calling of a kingdom disciple. Finally, what's the response of a kingdom disciple? 
Verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Did you catch that word that's repeated there? In Greek, it's the word eutheos. It means immediately or uh, or at once. So Jesus calls. The response is immediate. Now remember, as you read the Gospel of John, again, it becomes clear Jesus already knew these men. He had interactions already with these men. He's not meeting them for the first time. But it's here in Matthew that Jesus is officially calling them to leave their nets behind, leave their boat and father behind, and come after him and remain with him as his disciples. Now, how did they respond to this call then to follow and to to simply be with Jesus? Well, the Bible says they came immediately. And incidentally, we also find out that uh, there's no record of of Dad Zebedee complaining. Hey, wait a minute. Um, I need James and John. The Bible doesn't record that. Now, I suppose the response of these brothers could have been different. Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Leave our nets and follow you? Where are you going? What's for dinner? How are we going to provide for ourselves, for our families? How long will this take? Do you mind if we finish up first? Why should we come? What do you have to offer? Hmm. I'll think about it. Can you come back tomorrow? I guess they could have said all that. After all, fishing is what they knew. Following Jesus, well, who knows where that might lead. The fishing life was a pretty good life after all. What might following Jesus look like? What if he gets into trouble with the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Herodians? How would that look like for us? Now, the point here, of course, is this. Jesus was telling these men that from now on, Jesus had to be their absolute priority. He had to be first. He would say it in a different way in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things like food, clothing, they'll be added to you. But seek first his kingdom. Jesus preaches a kingdom gospel. We're called to be kingdom disciples. And here's the thing. To be a kingdom disciple means Jesus is is your and mine number one priority. His kingdom is your priority. The rule and reign of Jesus is your priority. Drawing other people to the worship of the king is your priority. Paul would write it this way in Colossians of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and For him, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body of the church, he's the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be 
preeminent. Preeminent means before all else, higher than all else, supreme above all, first place, numero uno. So those who follow Christ follow him as Lord. And when kingdom disciples hear the call to leave here, what they're doing, to leave their vocation, leave their families, to follow Christ in this instance, they follow. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to submit ourselves wholly to Christ. This is important. There's nothing we know as reformed believers, as those who believe in God's sovereign grace, there's nothing you can do yourself to be saved. Uh, We're dead in sin, right? We're completely dependent on the sovereign grace of God to fish us out of the world of sin, out of the mess we've created for ourselves. Only God can do it. Only Christ can call us. Only Christ can save us by his Holy Spirit. His life, his righteousness, his death, his resurrection, it's all of grace. But don't ever mistake the fact that you are saved by God's sovereign grace and that you have absolutely uh, nothing to contribute to your own salvation. Don't, uh, don't, uh, uh, don't um, get that confused with the call to being a kingdom disciple. Whereas you can do nothing towards your salvation, when Jesus calls you to Himself, when He draws you to Himself, He draws all of you to Himself, and we are called to give ourselves wholly to Him, because He is Lord. Follow, and they follow. John Calvin's personal emblem was a picture, you might know this, was a picture of a, of a heart, you know, shape of a heart, uh, held in a hand uh, with an inscription. And his motto was this, My heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly, that means immediately, promptly and sincerely. That's it. Promptly, uh, follow, you follow, and sincerely, my heart to you. That's it. That's what a kingdom disciple is, all for Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to say later in the same Gospel of Matthew, because maybe you're saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, this is apostles. This is like the super-duper Christian. That's, you know, I mean, these are going to be the apostles. They're the ones who have to you know, follow Jesus immediately and, and serve him as Lord. And it's, you know, it's the super-duper Christians that are called to lay it all on the line. While Jesus is going to say this later in Matthew, just to clear that up for you and for me. Whoever, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter, whoever, more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and, remember the words? Follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever <laughs> loses his life for my sake will find it. Did you, there was a repeated word there. Did you catch it? Mm. Whoever. This is a kingdom disciple, and it is for whoever, unless he is first. You see, you're, you're not a kingdom disciple. He calls us 
to have him preeminent. It is for whoever, not just apostles, not just super Christians, not just those, you know, really serious Christians. They're the ones who have Jesus as Lord. No, it's whoever would be a disciple knows that Jesus is Lord and that I, I when he calls, he has first, I, I leave it all behind for him. Have you done that? Have you done that? That is, lost your life for Christ's sake. That is simply uh, given complete control of your life over to the king so that he leads, you follow. Have you ever said to the Lord, Lord, you have the first priority in my life. I know that you want all of me. I know you call me to seek first your kingdom, not seek my kingdom first and then give God the leftovers. Not seek first the kingdom of this world, and if that doesn't work out, I'll turn to religion. Not seek first the kingdom of my wife or the kingdom of my husband, but seek first your kingdom. I know that, Lord. It's about your kingdom, your glory, and your praise. Have you done that? For Simon and Andrew and James and John, they were called to leave their vocation. And so some today are called to leave their vocation. Some perhaps to leave their country and follow Christ to the mission field. And maybe that will be you. Others are called not to leave their calling as a lawyer or doctor or businessman or housewife or secretary or teacher or nurse or janitor, but they are still called to make Jesus Christ uh, and following Jesus Christ their number one priority in that calling. How do we know that? Well, remember that Paul was a tent maker. And Paul, given completely to Christ, he said, for to me, to live is Christ uh, and to die is gain. But Jesus didn't say to Paul, you've got to give up your tent making business. No, we find in the, in the guy, he still was. He still did that. Remember the tax collector who asked John the Baptist how he should show his repentance. And... Uh, You know, John didn't tell him to give up working for the IRS, but he did tell him not to take more from people than he was authorized to do. Have the Lord as your priority uh, in that work. And when the soldier, Roman soldier, asked the same question to John, you know, how can I show that I am really repentant and that I want to follow in the ways of the Lord? John didn't tell him to quit the military, but he told him to be content with his wages, stop threatening and falsely accusing others to shake them down for cash. Follow Christ right where you are. This is not just for the apostles. This is for every kingdom disciple. In fact, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And of course, friends, kingdom disciples never lose or never have to fear that following Christ will somehow mean that, um, you know, they will not find blessing in in making him their number one priority. You remember Jim Elliott, martyr missionary to the Alka Indians in the 50s, said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, that is the things of this earth, to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we have the profile of the kingdom disciple, ordinary folks, like you and I. 
We have the calling of the kingdom disciple, follow King Jesus and be used of him to draw others out of the sea of sin into the life of Christ. And we have the response of a kingdom disciple who hear in his call to follow the voice of our sovereign Lord who comes to give us life so that we would recognize, as Isaac Watts put it, 1707, we're the whole realm of nature mine. Isn't this great? We're the whole realm of nature mine, said Isaac Watts. That were a present far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's a kingdom disciple. Follow me. And we follow him wherever he may lead us. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your call on our life. Lord, we thank you for uh, this passage of Scripture which uh, reminds us that uh, you call us to be fishers of, of men. We are those men at sea. We are those fish in the water who think that everything's just fine as we go about our life of sin. And so we thank you that by your sovereign grace, you, you draw us out. And then you call us, Lord, to follow you, to be with you, that you would make us fishers of men, that we too would have the eyes of the Lord Jesus as we look upon the world around us, not to laugh at them in their sin and folly, not to condemn them or judge them with a, a, a spirit of uh, uh, anger or uh, pride. But, Lord, that we would see the, the lost men and women and children in the world all around us with the eyes of Jesus, that you would have us to be fishers of men, that we would draw them out of that life of sin into life with Christ. And, Lord, that we would hear that call today, Lord, that you've told us, whoever, whoever would be your disciple, Lord, that Jesus must be our, our first priority, that when he speaks, oh, Lord, that is the... Uh, the voice to our soul to come, to follow, to trust in you as we walk in your ways. May that be true of us, that we might be kingdom disciples, disciples of the one who preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to grow in our love for our King. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.